0: Well, thank you to the Sweeney family for showing us documentary evidence of your guys' home. Now, for some of you, what you just saw, you might think that is where we are right now. And uh, for those of us, for those of us who are parents of kids a little bit older, I said to some of the guys after I saw that video, man, that could have been our house a few years ago. That was so familiar to me. And and so if you're a parent, whether you're at that stage where you're just dealing with the really practical questions about the small kids and about how to set up a home, or if your kids are getting a little bit older and you're just thinking about how how do we order our home in a way that reflects Jesus in a powerful way, the time that we're going to have together this Saturday is a really significant time not just as individual parents, but really for us to bond together as parents who are a part of this church family and say, we wanna support one another. We wanna learn, we wanna grow, we want practical tools and we want our compass for how we move forward in parenting our kids in a way that points them towards Jesus. So I just wanna throw in as we get ready for Saturday, if you're still thinking about this and either money or childcare is a hangup that you can't quite figure out, please come and talk to Phil or Leah or one of us, because we will work with you to help make this happen. We really believe that this is going to be a time where God works and God bonds us as parents to put our eyes on Jesus. And with that said, what we get to do this morning is we get to go through our final week of our series called Raise Them Up. Eventually, we're going to walk through a passage in Hebrews 12 that not only is going to speak to those of us that have kids in the home, but it is going to speak to all of us about how God fathers us. And the specific subject that's going to be highlighted is the subject of discipline. And so here's what I did. This last week, I went on Amazon and I just did some searching for books on the subjects of parenting and discipline, and I wanted to share some of them with you, some of the titles with you, because some clear themes emerged. And the first was that the word positive was used a lot. In fact, the title Positive Parenting, there were at least four different books that were titled Positive Parenting. And then apart from that, there were a bunch of twists on it. Positive Parenting with a plan. The power of positive parenting the positive parenting workbook, and then from there, positive discipline, positive discipline for today's busy parent, positive child guidance, are you seeing a the theme? The word positive kept coming up, which sort of implies that what we're afraid of is that parenting and discipline is going to be what? Negative. It's going to be negative, so we've got to really make sure we keep it positive, And then there were a bunch of other books on the whole idea of parenting and discipline that didn't use the word positive but had the theme still there. I'll read you some of them. Gentle discipline, using emotional connection, not punishment, to raise confident, capable kids. Discipline without damage, how to get your kids to behave without messing them up. (laughs) Here's the third one, discipline without stress, punishments, or rewards. And then finally, I know, I'm like, I gotta read that one. I'm not sure what they're gonna, what's left? Um, no, and the last one, the title was just out of control. And then the subtitle was, why disciplining your child doesn't work and what will. Now here's the deal, as we talk about all those titles, the fact that there's such a trend with that implies and reveals what we consider to be the danger of parenting and discipline. And if you just read those book titles, and I'm sure some of those books probably have some helpful things in them, but just reading those titles, it's clear that what we see as the greatest concern when it comes to parenting is that parents could end up abusive and tyrannical. And so we got to be positive. We've got to make sure to move away from punishment. We've got to make sure to protect against the danger of parents becoming abusive and tyrannical. Now, here's a question. Can parents be abusive and tyrannical? Of course. And so that's a worthy danger. It's a good thing for us to look at that and say, oh, we want to make sure to protect against that because we know how destructive that can be. And at the same time, it seems to ignore a great danger that's on the other side of this. And the danger on the side of this is how destructive it can be if kids are growing up without any boundaries, without any guidance, without any discipline. Simply with a bunch of parents that are saying, we want to be your friends, we want to collaborate with you, and never willing to enforce discipline. The neglect that goes along with lack of discipline is absolutely destructive just as abusive parents are absolutely destructive. But we end up with the fear and with the concern, how is it that we could live out the reality? As parents, how is it that we could live out the reality of practicing discipline with our children without becoming tyrants, without becoming so authoritarian or so estranged from our kids that we end up doing them harm? And the good news is that what we're gonna get in our passage in Hebrews 12 is not simply a bunch of parenting advice, but what we're gonna get is a passage that models for us how God the Father, as the perfect parent, fathers us. And this is a reminder of something really significant. You know, in the roles that we play in life, the New Testament is constantly pointing us towards the reality that in the roles that we play, we look to reflect Jesus. Those of us who are husbands, we, we know from Ephesians 5, we are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We're looking to model Jesus in the way that we sacrifice. For any of you in here who's a wife, as wives, you get to model the submission of the church of Jesus, responding to Jesus in respect and submission. We talk about servants and masters, under authority and over authority. When we're servants, when we're in the role of being under authority, we look to serve and respect those who are put over us, just as Jesus did that when he was here on earth. And when we're masters, when we're in authority, we look to reflect the good benevolent authority of God, the father who sacrifices for those under his care. And when we bring it back to parenting, this is true also. As parents, we look to reflect the ultimate parent, God, the father. As we get ready to get into this, we need to have the reminder that parents are called to reflect the good fatherhood of God that involves a lot of affection, that involves a lot of caring words, that involves a lot of sacrifice, and it also involves discipline. And so if you haven't already turned there, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. If you have a Bible, we're going to read through verses 4 through 11. And as we walk through this passage, we're going to see three things about how God disciplines us. So you know what, even if you're nowhere near the parenting stage right now, what you're gonna get in this passage is seeing how God disciplines us as a good father. And if you are a parent, you're gonna get insight into how you reflect the good fatherhood of God and how you discipline your children. So the first thing that we'll talk about in verses four, five, and six, the first aspect of God's discipline is that God's discipline promotes discomfort. So far, so good, right? God's discipline promotes discomfort. Verse 4 says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, we're obviously walking right into the middle of a passage. So here's what's going on here. The author of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians in the first century, and he's talking about the fact that they're facing difficulties And part of why they're facing difficulties is because as Jewish Christians, they sort of don't belong in any community around them. The Jews have mostly cast them out because they've put their faith in Jesus as the Savior. And the Romans don't find anything in common with them because the Christians worship only one true God, while the Romans have a pantheon of gods. They don't fit in. He says, you have not yet resisted. He says, in your struggle against sin, which doesn't just mean your battle for personal purity, but your struggle against the sinful world around, the struggles against the enemy and the sinful world. He says, in that battle, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, you're going through difficulties. You haven't yet had physical suffering and you haven't yet been martyred. But did you even notice the key word in that? Yet. You haven't yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, which means, in part, the author of Hebrews is saying that time may come. Right now, you're looking to hold on to Jesus and you're going through suffering. Right now, you're looking to hold on to Jesus even though it's difficult. He's saying, I want you to be ready when it's even more difficult, when holding on to Jesus is going to mean losing your physical comfort or even losing your physical life. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And then with the suffering that they're going through, the author of Hebrews, starting in verse five, gives them a way to think about why they're suffering. In verse five, he says, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son?" And then he quotes from Proverbs three verses eleven and twelve. Says it says, "My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son." What the author of Hebrews seems to do is he's talking to the Hebrew people, and he says, "Are you suffering?" And the answer, of course, is yes. And he says, as you're suffering, here's how I want you to think of the difficulties you're facing. I want you to think of them as God's discipline. Now, this right away brings up all kinds of problems for us. Because part of it is that we look at suffering and we say, is that really the only explanation? The explanation for the suffering in the world is God's discipline? And we do need to take a minute and just recognize, when we talk about suffering in the world, it's complex. It's, It's complicated. We ask the question, why are we suffering? And one of the answers is, we're suffering because we live in a fallen world. We rebelled against God. We brought sin and death and suffering into the world. So if you ask, why am I suffering? Part of the answer is, because we live in a fallen world. And when you ask, why am I suffering? Part of the answer is because God's created us in his image, and he's allowed us to make meaningful choices that have an impact. So part of why you're suffering is because other people have made significant choices that have ended up bringing suffering into your life. Why do we suffer? Part of the answer is is that God brings, not just allows, but actively brings suffering into our lives to shape us into being the men and women that he's called us to be, because we know that discomfort is what brings growth. Why do we suffer? According to the New Testament, part of why we suffer is because when we hold on to Jesus, when we've suffered loss, God uses that to display to the world that he is more valuable than anything else we have. And there's a lot of reasons why we suffer. But the author of Hebrews says, if you're suffering, and I know some of you in this room, you'd nod your heads yes. Whether it's health, whether it's finances, whether it's kind of interpersonal estrangement, you'd say, I'm suffering right now. If you're suffering right now, here's how you're invited to look at it. You're invited to look at it not as an accidental occurrence, but as the discipline and shaping of your good God and Father. And the other part of why this is tough for us is because when we hear the word discipline, for many of us, we just automatically think punishment as the only form of discipline. And so because of that, we think, well, if what I'm suffering is God's discipline, does that mean I did something bad and God is getting me for it? Isn't that the whole problem with the book of Job, by the way? Job's friends keep telling him, the reason why you're suffering is because you did something bad. You just need to confess it and then good things will happen. And the problem is that punishment is not equal to discipline. In fact, some people will say discipline has nothing to do with punishment. I think that's not quite right biblically. Punishment is a subset of discipline. In other words, all punishment is discipline. Not all discipline is punishment. Punishment is one of the things that God does for us in the realm of discipline. So sometimes there is a situation where we've done something wrong and God enforces consequences on us. And we've all experienced that. But then there's other times where God is enforcing on us a more broad idea of discipline. Because more broad than punishment, discipline is about training. The author of Hebrews says, I want you to be ready... For when it's either holding on to Jesus, when holding on to Jesus is going to maybe cost you your life, I want you to be ready for that. And so God is training you for that situation. Sometimes our suffering is just God training us. It's not because he's directly responding to our sin. And you know, this carries over into the area of parenting. When we think those of us who are parents, there's broad realms. Sometimes the reason why there's some discipline with our kids, it's because of a punishment. And sometimes it's just because it's training. I'll give you an example. So so let's say you, you, you get a view into my home, and there's some evening that I tell the kids, no dessert tonight. No dessert tonight. That's discipline. But there might be two different reasons why I declare no dessert tonight. The first reason could be, you've been disrespectful all day, and I know we said we would have dessert, but because you've been so disrespectful, no dessert tonight. That would be in the realm of punishment. But there's another reason why I might say no dessert tonight. Maybe everybody's been super respectful, everybody's been kind, everybody's done their chores, there's nothing to punish, but they say, can we have some extra dessert tonight? And I say no, not because I'm punishing them, but simply because I'm trying to get them used to the idea that it's important sometimes to say no to your appetites. That it's not good for them, To grow up always saying yes, always indulging every desire. So I may say, you didn't do anything wrong. In fact, you guys were really great today. But man, you gotta get used to the idea that just because you want something doesn't mean that it's good for you. Discipline is broader than just the idea. Of punishment. But but also a quick word on that. I mean, for us as parents, I think the difficulty about this is that we just we don't like the idea of disappointing our kids. We don't like the idea of being the bad guy with our kids. In fact, I'd say for, for my age and younger, this is a really big struggle. In fact, just this isn't gonna take over the sermon, but just a quick note on this. If you look back in verse six, when it says, Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. That word chastens, it doesn't come through as clearly in the English, but it clearly implies like physical discipline. If you read the book of Proverbs, there's clear references about the rod and physical discipline. So I want to just say a word on this because I know in our culture right now, the whole idea of spanking, we've just sort of set that aside. That's a thing of the past. That's that's old school. We've moved on from that. That's barbaric. Man, you can just feel how awkward it is in here right now. (laughs) Um, Here's what I want to say about this. Um, First of all, I just want to say, if you make the choice, if you have kids in the home and you make the choice, we're not spanking them. I think that you you are free to make that choice. I don't think that you're doing something wrong by making that choice. But here's what I'm going to ask. If you decide we're not spanking our kids, please don't say we're not spanking our kids because clearly that wouldn't be a Christian thing to do. If you decide you're not spanking your kids, that's not an idea you got from the Bible. Because in the Bible, it's just sort of assumed that that's one of the tools you would use with young kids. Sort of an immediate consequence. And so if you do decide this, if you look at this, here's my just advice. I can't say this is straight out of the Bible. Here's my advice. If you have young kids, I think that it is foolish to eliminate from your options any tool that may help you. I think that it is unwise for you to eliminate, especially something that God seems to just assume would be a useful tool. So I'm just going to say, I think that's unwise to just eliminate that tool. Um, But the second thing I want to say about it is this. I hear some people talk about it and they say, oh, we we rarely spank our kids. Only if we get really upset with them. I think that's not good. If you're looking at it and you're saying, well, we only spank our kids when we're really upset with them. That is not what that's about. What you're communicating to your kids is I'm gonna use physical force only when I'm so upset with you. And here's the deal, if you're a parent, you know this. There are some times where you are too upset to make a rational decision about what consequence to bring. Um, There are times, I've said to Karina before, I'm like, man, we have three sons. I'm like, I love these kids so much. And I am amazed how enraged I can get at them sometimes. I mean, I love them, but sometimes I get so mad. You know, sometimes, whether it's whether spanking it's or whether it's just some consequence that you're about to enforce, sometimes you're so upset that what you need to say to your kid is go to your room, and then you know what you need to do? You need to go to your room. <laughs> you need to just be like, I'm, I'm not able to make a rational decision right now. I need to think about this. You may come out and end up deciding on the exact same consequence you thought you were gonna give before, but you're gonna be able to show your kids that it's not a you versus them. It's not an antagonistic relationship. You're coming to them as the parent, looking to enforce helpful discipline with them. And here's the, if you decide, hey, that, that's fine, but we're not gonna spank, that's not my biggest concern. My biggest concern is that that seems to just go with the flow of the idea that younger parents, again, I'd say my, my age and younger, we don't want to be the bad guy. We're very concerned with that. In fact, you know, I, I remember saying when I was a kid, And, uh, and some of you, most of you probably said this when you were a kid, some of you who are younger, you're probably saying this now, but I remember consistently saying to myself, man, when I'm a parent, I am not going to be like my parents. (laughs) And there were specific things that they said. And I'll say, some of you said that. And it's because you have, you have, or had parents that were abusive and manipulative. That's something different than what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the idea that we just, we don't want to be the antagonistic person. We don't want to be the disciplinarian. We don't want to be the one who says, you do it because I told you to do it. And what I want to say is to parents right now, here's the deal, we need to grow up. You need to be willing to be the adult in the room. And if you're gonna be a good parent, you need to be willing to incur your kid's wrath from time to time. You need to be okay with the fact that they're going to be upset with you and dislike you. That's what it means to be the adult in the room. Of course you want to give your kids affection. Of course you want to give your kids affirmation and kind words and great experiences. If you really care about your kids, if you really want to reflect the good fatherhood of God, you will promote discipline. You will promote training in your home because your kids need it. And I think part of why we struggle to do this is because we think, well, if I discipline my kids, that's showing them that I don't really care about them. The author of Hebrews says the opposite. Because he says not only does God's discipline promote discomfort, but in verse seven and eight, he says God's discipline proves belonging. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. And in many ways, when you read that, you you know what he's saying. What he's saying is, you don't take the time and effort to train a child unless you really care about that child. God reflects this constantly. If you read the New Testament and you look at what it's like to become a Christian, you wouldn't necessarily conclude that it makes your life easier to belong to God. Think of the Apostle Paul for a minute. He's a prominent person in the Jewish nation. He's famous. He's successful. And then Jesus dramatically saves him. Jesus shows him his sin, saves him by his grace. And Paul's life ends up becoming incredibly difficult. He suffers profoundly. In fact, one quick story about Paul from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about the fact that he'd seen all these heavenly visions, he'd experienced all these amazing things, and so because of them, God gave him a gift. You know what the gift was? Yeah, some of you know. It's the thorn in the flesh. Which we don't know what it is, but it sounds bad, right? This was not a good thing. This is either some kind of physical pain or some kind of emotional or psychological pain. In fact, it was so bad that Paul prayed three times God, please take this away. And in essence, three times God said no. And we're told the reason, Paul understands the reason why God gave him this thorn in the first place. He says, He gave me this so that I wouldn't become arrogant. God cared enough about Paul to bring discomfort into his life so that he wouldn't become arrogant. And the reason God cared that much about Paul is because Paul belonged to him. Paul was part of the family. Man, I know as parents, there are times, I'm not going to say that there's never a time that you see a kid that's not your own and you're like, give me five minutes with that kid and I'll fix him. (laughs) I'm not saying that never happens. Um, But for the most part, we are not, as parents, you are not looking for another kid to be responsible for. And I I remember when our kids were really small, and uh, so Karina and I would be at something and there would be a bunch of parents there with a bunch of kids there. And you know how when a kid is young, when they cry or when they scream, you can instantly tell whether it's your kid or not? Um, There are those moments where we'd be gathered, whole bunch of parents, whole bunch of kids in the other room, you'd hear a cry, you'd know it's your kid, and you'd know you have to go deal with them. But then there were those glorious moments There were those glorious moments where you hear the cry, you're about to get up, and then you say, that's not my kid, and you smile, (laughs) and you sit back down, or those moments where, where the kids are all fighting, and so you go in, and you're like, all right, who's at fault here, and you find out it's somebody else's kid that's at fault, and you're just like, yes, yes, I don't have to deal with it. Man, we're, we're not looking for opportunities to have to train kids other than our own, because that's exhausting. And it's not fun having your kids mad at you. It's exhausting to discipline, but you discipline to show your kids that they belong. And kids respond to boundaries, especially young kids respond to the idea that there's certain things that they can and can't do. And you know this because later on, kids will frequently tell on each other or tell each other, we're not supposed to do that. Kids respond to those boundaries. And not only that, but when we take this in, man, one of the best gifts that we as parents can give to our kids is by doing things that show you belong to this family, but you're not the center of this family. It's appropriate. Man, as parents, we wanna be responsive to our kids. If they need us, we wanna stop what we're doing and, and take care of them. But you know, sometimes what's helpful for a kid is to recognize that just because they have a whim doesn't mean mom and dad stop everything to deal with that whim. We said, man, I, since our kids could understand what we were saying, and probably even before that, we've had the mantra, the world does not revolve around you. We love you, we care about you, the world does not revolve around you. And here's why it's really good for kids to grow up knowing the world does not revolve around them. First of all, when they get out of your, out of your home, is anybody else going to remotely treat them like the world revolves around them? No." And more importantly, how difficult is it going to be for a young person to make their life completely about Jesus when for the first 18 years they've had it demonstrated to them that their life should be completely about them? Man, we want to demonstrate you belong. And part of what it means that you belong is that the world doesn't revolve around you because you're part of a family. You're not the center of the family. And part of belonging means that there's certain things that we do that maybe even other families don't do. Karina was sharing, there was some online, some meme or some joke um, that she shared with me. And it was like, it was a kid talking to his mom and the kid was saying um, something like, you don't let me do this, but grandma lets me do this. And the mom's response is, sounds like my mom is cooler than your mom. <laughs> I love that. That's so great. Um, and, and part of that is even reflecting the idea, man, there are times where as a parent you got to say, all right, I understand that your friends all get it. I understand that your friends don't have limitations on how much time they spend on their phone. I understand that they all get a, got a phone earlier age. I, I understand they get to watch that, but you don't get to watch that. Or they don't have a curfew and you don't have a curfew. You belong to this family. Man, parents, be willing to be the weird parents. And support each other in being the weird parents in the church. We should be different. We are the weird people of God. We are called to live differently than the world around us. Man, in our households, there should be some differences. That's part of showing our kids that they belong. Man, far from the idea that discipline shows our kids that we don't care about them, discipline proves that they belong because we're willing to put in the time that it takes to cultivate those attitudes. God's discipline promotes discomfort actively. God's discipline proves belonging. And here's the good news in the last part in verses nine through 11. God's discipline provides benefits. It pays off. Verse nine says, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? And it's a weird title for God, the father of spirits, but but what the author seems to be doing is he's just contrasting. We had human fathers, and then we have the, the heavenly father, the spiritual father. So we looked at our human fathers, and they disciplined us, and we respected them, we responded to them. How much more should we do that with God the father? And you might say, well, why? Verse 10, they, the human fathers, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. God is disciplining us so that the result would end up being that we would share in His holiness. That in our lives, we wouldn't have anything that keeps us from the sweet fellowship with God. That we wouldn't have sin and dysfunction blocking The beauty of walking by the Holy Spirit. And look back at what it said in verse 10. It says, speaking of earthly fathers, they disciplined us as they thought best. Friends, as parents, do we sometimes get it wrong? We we sometimes got it wrong. Um, Last night, as a family, we were reading this passage and talking about it. Um, and I was just sharing with my boys, with my two younger sons, there, there was a time earlier this week where they were fighting, there was a conflict, and I ran into the room, and I thought I knew exactly what was going on, and I just sort of doled out the consequences. Just like, that's it, nobody's able to watch anything, I wanted to say for the rest of the month, but I was just like, for, for the rest of the night, not allowed to watch anything out, I, I doled out the consequences, um, and when things calmed down, they, they ended up saying, Dad, I don't, think, I, I don't think you know what really happened, and you know what? They were right. And they explained it to me and I said, all right, I clearly overreacted to the situation. If what I thought was going on was, my reaction would have been totally appropriate. But I didn't understand the situation. I didn't even have bad motives. I just lacked omniscience. I just thought I knew what was happening and I didn't. And so I ended up changing things and lessening the consequences to something that was more appropriate. Sometimes that just happens. And, And as Troy talked about last week, man, as parents, we gotta be humble enough to apologize. We've got to be humble enough to demonstrate humility to our kids by apologizing. Sometimes we get it wrong. That was a time that I got it wrong, and I didn't even have bad motives. There are other times where I get it wrong because I'm just being selfish, or I'm just tired, or I just don't want to be humble about things. If you're under authority, you respect your parents, but you recognize they sometimes get it wrong. But here's the good news. God never gets it wrong. God never brings discipline into your life and then later on says, whoa, I totally misread that situation. <laughs> he always knows you can rest in knowing that any discipline he brings into your life is to shape you that you may share in his holiness. Finally, look at what he says in verse 11. He makes a very obvious statement at the beginning. He says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Painful. And this is true not just with punishment, this is true. Why I gotta do chores and that's really frustrating. Or my parents are limiting my phone time and that's really frustrating. Or I have a curfew and that's really frustrating. No, discipline is pleasant at the time, but painful. But then he says, later on however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And there's the idea of training again with discipline. Just about a week ago, I rewatched a movie that I love. Um, it's that movie Creed. So if you've seen the old Rocky movies, you know that there's this newer crop of movies where Rocky is now the trainer and Adonis Creed is the boxer. Um, and the first one is, is so great. And, and one of the things that's great about the Rocky movies is that they always have these great training montages. And so now Rocky is the trainer, and he's training Adonis, and doing all this crazy stuff. You know, doing the running, doing the shadow boxing, doing the jump rope in a way that you're like, I don't know how that's possible. That you're doing the jump rope in that way. All this amazing training thing. He's down doing the push-ups, and he's doing the push-ups where you clap in between push-ups. And then Rocky's sitting in a chair, and he looks over at him, and he's like, Well, in my day we did one-handed, but whatever. <laughs> so immediately he's like, All right, and he's doing the one-handed push-ups and you're watching this, and and you just know for the boxer, you're just like, this is miserable. I mean, this is just awful. He's got to be feeling sick all the time. He's exhausted. He wants to stop. It is miserable training like that. But it produced a harvest. Man, he was ready for that fight. He was prepared for what was ahead because he chose to be trained by it. And, and man, first of all, for, for those of us who are parents, we've we got to embrace this idea. We, we've got to say, you know what? Especially with young kids, but even as kids are getting older, sometimes God shows you glimpses that you see, all right, the training is paying off. We're starting to get that harvest. And man, my, my kids just showed gratitude in a way that a few years ago that they would have been very entitled, but they showed gratitude. It's paying up, uh, off. Let's, let's keep it going. Let's keep the training coming because there's a harvest coming. And man, my kid is way more patient than they used to be because we keep training them for it. Man, my, my kid, is way more polite than they used to be because we keep training them for it. My kid seems to respond to the Lord in his heart, in her heart, because we've been training them for it. Don't grow weary as a parent. And especially, I know there's a lot of you in here that you're still under parental authority. You're still under parental authority. Look at that last phrase that he uses there. He says, the discipline prov- produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. So first of all, for all of us under the discipline of God, um, discipline is training. That means God has something to teach you. Let's just be mercenary for a moment. Do you want to be in a position where God has to give another attempt to teach you the thing that he wants to teach you right now? Man, if you're just being mercenary, it's like, I better be trained by it. I want to pay attention. I want to I respond to this discipline because I don't want to have to go through something again. And for those of you who are under parental authority, just say, man, it's difficult. It's frustrating. And sometimes your parents get it wrong. But if you are trained by it, if you respond in your heart to the training you're receiving, there will be benefits. And for those of us who are parents, part of the burden that we carry is those of us who are Christian parents, man, we want our kids to love Jesus so much. We want our kids to make decisions that that bring life instead of bringing difficulty. We want our kids to respond well to the world and make an impact on the world. We we want our kids to be spared destruction and instead to walk with Jesus. And part of what this verse reminds us is that we approach that with humility because we can't control that. We can give all the training that's available to us, but we can't control the response of our kids. We've gotta pray and we've gotta trust God because it's only gonna pay off if they are trained by it. We can't make that decision for our kids, but we can make the decision to consistently put the training out there, to consistently give them the opportunities to respond to the Lord. And the reason why we do this is because as parents, we're called to reflect the good fatherhood of God. Man, as parents, we want our kids to see Jesus in us. We want our kids to experience the reality that they belong to a family, not because they've earned their way in. And that means we can freely talk about sin. We can freely talk about failure. We can freely talk about grace. Grace. And it means that we talk about grace not only because it's good news, but we also talk about grace because grace is humbling and brings us to a point that we realize we don't belong to God because we did something great. We belong to God because he did something great for us in Jesus. In all that we do, in all of the affection, in all of the attention, in all of the compliments, in all of the hugs, in all of the family trips, and in all of the discipline, we look to reflect the good fatherhood of God. And so here's what we're going to do to, to close our service in a minute. In a minute, I'm going to invite you, we're going to actually have a time of group prayer. So in a minute, I'm going to invite you, you're going to stand up, turn to just you know, two or three people around you, break into groups of three or four and pray. And here's what I'm going to invite you to pray. First of all, this passage applies to all of us. So what you're praying about might just be that you will respond, you will bear up, you will be trained by the discipline that the Lord is bringing into your life right now. For some of you, you may be praying because you're in the parenting stage and you really want to respond to this and you want to do all that you can to reflect the good fatherhood of God. And for others of you, here's what I want. If you feel like, all right, I'm at a stage where I don't really have kids in the home, I want to invite you to pray for the parents and the children in this church and to pray specifically for the conference this Saturday so that we as a church family say we are all part of what it looks like to raise a godly generation and to reflect the good fatherhood of God in our parenting. So after we've prayed for a few minutes, I'll close our time. I'm going to invite you to just go ahead and stand up Turn to two or three people around you. You don't need to spend a lot of time exchanging names or prayer requests. Just get to praying.